0: So, uh, you know, in introducing Cecil Castellucci, I think I've just sort of stopped because it's like what your like, 20th book or something like that, or something like that. <laughs> you, you know, to see her, her, her come this far as a writer, you know, as a person in the community, we're, we're so very happy for her, and I'm sure you are too. Please welcome Cecil Castellucci. Thank, thanks for coming to my birthday party. <laughs> Um, Okay, so when I first moved to Los Angeles 15 years ago uh, in two weeks, I used to walk because I didn't know how to drive, and I would um, walk to the Onyx Cafe, and I would write, 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 and dream, dream, dream about being an author one day. But I was a musician at the time, and um, and uh, and then I would come here, and um, you know, if you if you uh, go for my frequent flyer, uh, frequent buyer thing here, it, it's not under Cecil Castellucci; it's actually under Cecil Seaskull, nerdy girl so they can type in nerdy girl and uh, and that's how i get my discount here um so this store was you know just amazingly important to everything that i do writing wise and uh, um i think a bunch of you know but um Steve Salardino is the guy who gives me the titles for all of my novels, so um, he's the one who one day, he's over there, and uh, one day I came in and I was in despair and I was living on my $3 a day and walking everywhere and taking the bus because I didn't know how to drive and I'm still a bad driver, and, um, and he was like, you know Cecil, you should totally write a book called Boyproof." And the boy's name should be called Max, and I was like, okay. And so I did, and uh, and then that was the first book that I sold. So I really owe Skylight um, a lot, a lot, a lot. Um, so uh, some of you have received some postcards on your um, on your on your chair. Uh, so for my birthday, uh, I'm doing. Uh, some of you know I'm doing an art project it's my first conceptual art piece and um, and uh, uh, basically what I've done is I sent blank postcards to visual artists and with a word or a phrase and I asked them to um, you know draw something based on that word or phrase and then the printed postcards I've sent to an author in the hopes that the author will write a, a micro fiction or a small philosophy or a poem or something like that and um, so some of you have them with no name on it that's because the author has not uh, sent it back in but some of you have it with a name of an author. Can you hold yours up that has the post-it on it? Yes. Yeah. So see, that's uh, that's uh, Natalie Standiford, and it was on a card by Bruce Lynn. So because Skylight Books is so, so important to me, and um, some of you might have seen in Publishers Weekly that Carrie was talking about, you know, sort of the health of bookstores in general and stuff, and I know you're all going to buy my book tonight, but I thought maybe you would also want to buy some of these fantastic authors who have participated in my art project or the ones who I've sent perhaps a postcard to. Um, So I'm just going to read all of those authors' names because then it's kind of like they're at my party too. So um, perhaps you would like to buy a book from any one of these authors. Colson Whitehead, Steve Almond, Jessica Kane, Marie Mockett, Blake Nelson, Siobhan Vivian, Janet Fitch, Liza Palmer, Janelle Brown, Joseph Mattson, Megan Dom, Nina Revoir, Corey Doctro, Stephen Elliott, David Levithan, Patrick DeWitt, Eden Lepucky, Emma Straub, Marissa Silver, Antoine Wilson, Natalie Standiford, Ellen Kushner, Delia Sherman, Ben Lurie, Meg Walitzer, Mark Haskell Smith, Lala Lalami, Grace Kulanovich, Donald Antrim, James Elroy, Tom Lutz, Mark Sarvis, Jim Ruland, Todd Goldberg, Sonia Soans, Sheree L. Smith, Co. Booth, Jill Murray, Lisa Yee, Lee Henderson, Samantha Harvey, Ben Ennerick, Francesca Lea Block, Lauren Myrickle, Metty Ivy Harrison, Neil Pollock, Lauren Strasnick, Ned Vizzini, Carol Snow, Sarah Zarr, Sherman Alexi, Willow Wilson, Willingham, Brian Wood, Josh Dysart, Noel Alamut, Cara LaRoe, Emma Bull, Chris Barzak, Charles Yu, Er Erica Schickel, and James Ellroy. Did I already say them? All right. well whatever, they get get it twice. So um, I'm hoping that you guys will buy a book from anybody here at Skylight Books because um, this is so important to me and for my birthday I want uh, Skylight Books to be here forever, so that's that. (laughs) I'm gonna turn my phone off, maybe you guys should turn your phones off too. Um, okay, so um, so I'm going to read from my new book that uh, is actually officially not out until um, until uh, November 1st, but, um, but there you go. So uh, what you need to know, but it's uh, out here for us today. I didn't even know if it was going to arrive in time, but then it did. Um, so um, what you need to know about this book is that um, it's about a boy named Mal who um, comes to believe that he's been abducted by aliens. And... Um, and, uh, he starts going to an alien abduction support group, and he meets a guy there named Hooper, and, um, he's not quite sure whether or not Hooper is or isn't, uh, an alien. Could be a crazy homeless person, could be an alien. Um, so, uh, so this happens where, um, uh, uh they've been to the alien abduction group, and Mal has sort of told his abduction story, and, uh, And um, he has gotten Hooper into a, uh, a, you know, homeless shelter and uh, Hooper's come back. So it's chapter 37. Some of these chapters are only one sentence long, so there's lots of chapters. (laughs) Hooper doesn't show up for group again for a couple of weeks. And when he does, he seems like a different man. He's cleaner, more put together. The thing about Hooper is that cleaned up and happy, he looks like he's about 17. But he must be about 30. The other thing that is different about him is that he doesn't look like a crazy homeless person. He looks like a regular guy, but he still smells weird. After group, he comes up to me. Mal, he's very excited. I would like to take you out for a burrito, he says. When he grins, his smile looks wrong. His teeth look like baby teeth, as though he's never lost them. They are sharp and tiny and make his young face look even younger. It distracts me for a moment, but then I snap out of it. That's okay, I say. You don't have to buy me one, but I'll totally go with you. No, I insist, he says. Burrito is now my favorite food. On the way to the parking lot, he tells me about how they found him a room with a bed and a lamp and a sink, sink with running water, and he's got a little job in the kitchen at the shelter. He gets into my car, and he gives me all kinds of weird directions until we end up far out of town at the foothills of the Sierra Madre, where there are wide-open spaces, horses, and tumbleweeds. There, in the middle of nowhere, is a taco truck, like a real-deal taco truck. He walks up to the guys who wave and call out, Hola, Hooper, to him, and then he orders in fluent Spanish. You speak Spanish? I ask. They speak Spanish, he says, pointing at the men and women working the taco truck. A few weeks ago, he didn't even know what a burrito was, much less even how to say it, and now he speaks with a more pleasant accent than my Spanish teacher. We eat the burritos, and mine is the best burrito I've ever tasted in my life. The sky is clear, and the moon rises, and there is a bright star near it. That's Jupiter, Hooper says. No life there, only here. Yeah, I say. We stare at the sky for a while because there's nothing that's more beautiful than the night sky and I remember, even though it hurts, that I learned all the constellations by name because my dad started teaching me them and made it seem like it was something that he'd finished doing with me, like the night sky was only for us to share and now we can't. After he left that first year, I learned them all on my own. I went to the library and took out a book on it, just so that when he came back, I'd be able to go out into the desert with him and impress him with my celestial knowledge. For a w- yeah. <laughs> for a while there, learning those constellations by myself was like ha- having him still with me. I would imagine how, when he came back, he'd be so happy that I loved him that fiercely. He'd see how special I was, and he wouldn't want to leave again. But it's been almost six years, and he hasn't come back, even though I just about killed myself learning all those constellations, all for nothing. And no matter how hard I try to forget the patterns in the sky, I can't. I get that feeling in my chest, the one where I feel the hurt inside of me like an extra organ that was put in my body the wrong way. I look up at Cassiopeia. It's the easiest to spot, like a W hanging in the sky. Y begins with W. Do you ever wonder where your aliens come from, I ask? My aliens, Hooper says? Yeah, the ones who abducted you, I mean. Look up at the stars and I wonder, which one is their home? Why did they come here? Why did they take me? I don't say the other thing that I always wonder about my aliens. Why haven't they come to take me again? Hooper laughs, and then he shakes his head, and then he takes a bite out of his burrito, and then he laughs again, and then he looks at me, and he puts his long hand on my shoulder in a very friendly way. I wasn't abducted, Hooper says. But you're in group, I say. This is it the moment where he's going to call me a fraud, say what happened didn't happen, that it was just a dream, a made-up fantasy, a childish wish. I make a fist. I will punch him in the face if he says that. I will get into my car, and I will leave him here to find his own way home. Well, it seemed like the right place to go, he says. And then he sprinkles some more cilantro onto his burrito. Why, I ask. I thought you understood. He's looking at me like he's genuinely upset that I haven't gotten it. No, I say I don't. Mal, I'm an extraterrestrial, he says. What? He points to the sky. That star. You earthlings call it Epsilon Iridani. That's my star. All I want to do is get off this planet and to go home, but although it hangs there in the sky close enough for me to see with my naked eye, it's 10.5 light years away. I don't say anything. I just burn up with that feeling where all the cells in my body are on fire. It comes back in a swoosh and I throw my burrito down on the the table and my soda goes flying and my pants are wet and Hooper offers me a napkin but I refuse it. I can't believe that Hooper is making a joke because he doesn't seem to be the joking type but there he is sitting there across from me with a smile on his face and I want to punch him. I get up and I walk away. On the way to the car, I punch a spiny succulent that's in my way. It hurts, and that's the point. When I reach the car, I collapse into my seat and I put the key in the ignition, but I don't turn the car on. I sit there, my head reeling. Part of me wants to drive away, leave him here like I would have if he had made fun of me. But I would never actually leave him alone here. I would never abandon anyone. So I sit in the car, going over what he's just said. Even though I'm sitting down, my hands grip the steering wheel as though it's going to keep me from falling down. Because the ground is the sky, and the sky is the ground. That's how upside down I feel. How will I drive home when the world is gone so topsy-turvy? I laugh, and then I laugh again, Mal, get a grip, Hooper's a crazy homeless man who thinks he's an alien, I say out loud to myself, but I'm thinking about his teeth, and about his long weird hands, and about how he can speak Spanish, and his unnameable smell. I am sure of one thing, if he is an alien, he is not one that I have already met. Eating makes me so sleepy, Hooper says, sliding into the passenger seat next to me. He clicks his seatbelt on and immediately falls asleep, leaving me with my mind racing. I try to wake him up. I pinch him. I shake him. I tickle him. He just mumbles that his body makes him, that this body makes him tired and forces him to sleep in order to digest. Maybe it's for the best. Maybe I need him to sleep so I can digest what he said to me. I turn the car on, and as I back up with my arm over the passenger seat, I glance over at Hooper. He looks peaceful, and he looks kind, and he looks good. My father admitted that kind of goodness, but it wasn't the truth. Inside there was a darkness, and if he had any good in him, he would have never done what he did to my mother and me, or at least he would have cared about what he did. Is Hooper a soul in a meat sack, hiding a dangerous alien being inside? Is he in group looking for people to abduct? Is he evil? Worse? Is he going to leave me too? He looks nothing like the aliens that I remember from what happened to me. I know humans that look more alien than Hooper. so um, since it 's my birthday, <laughs> I thought um, I thought maybe um, i 've been working on my new novel, which is do on Monday. And I thought, um, I thought maybe I'd try reading a, a small chapter from my new novel if you guys wouldn't mind indulging me. Okay. okay? So I haven't even really read this ever out loud, so it could be a really horrible disaster. Um, we, we take some, a picture or something. I think I'd like to remember, okay. Okay. So, um, What you need to know is that this book is called The Tin Star, and um, it's going to come out in like 2013 or 2014, and it's basically sort of Casablanca in outer space on a space station, sort of fractured and whatever, And, um, and totally wrong and not exactly that at all. And the girl is Rick, and her name is Tula, and... Uh, this is a point where Tula has been beaten uh, to a bloody pulp and um, she's sort of been um, healed by the medics but then she doesn't have a place to stay on the station and so they sort of kick her out but she's stolen a plant and she doesn't know what to do so she goes back to the, um, the, the dock where um, the, her spaceship abandoned her because she thinks, well, I'll just go back to the beginning and she there meets uh, um, an alien who becomes her friend, I guess. Sort of. <clears throat> How much do you want for the plant? Tula opened her eyes to see a large insect alien above her. She remembered him from the day she was found. Heckleck. It's not for sale, Tula said. Her voice cracked. She was thirsty and hungry. She hadn't eaten in days. Her throat was dry. Her mask itched. It was losing its ability to filter air for her. Heklek screamed. Oh, you dirty human. Don't speak. You're trying to kill me with your sounds. Tula was not quite certain where Heklek's eyes were. She chose to focus on the two perturbances on the side of his head. That seemed to work. He pointed at the plant. How much? It's not for sale, Tula whispered in the universal galactic her dizzy brain could remember. Heklek smiled. There like that and I won't steal it from you instead we can negotiate. The plant was the only thing she owned. It was the only beautiful thing in the cargo bay and though it would probably save her to sell it she could not let it go. I'll give you a hot meal and some credits, Heckleck said. Tula pulled the plant closer to her. She could see by his movements that he very much wanted it, that it was m- worth much more than he was offering. No, she whispered. Did you say no, Heckleck said? Your universal is terrible. She shook her head from side to side, the human way for saying no. Oh, yes, he said, good, good, good to do business with you, he said, reaching for the plant. Tula pulled the plant into her arms and cradled it. I said no, she shouted. Heckleck groaned in pain. Shula was, Tula was shaking from hunger, but all she could see was Heklek's mouth coming towards her. He spit out his tongue and a sharp pointy barb injected into her arm. Tula dropped the plant and tried to scramble away. She felt the barb release her and she felt nauseous. She heaved, she swallowed, she looked back at Heckleck. He was not reaching for the plant, instead he was calmly looking at her. Tula's head ached and she felt hot. Had Heklek killed her? Maybe it was for the best. Maybe it was better to end life for a pretty plant. Maybe this insect had done her a kindness. She looked around the cargo bay, through the window. Tula could see the gray planet below. The station PA system blared as it always had, the announcer speaking too quickly for her to understand. She began to sweat. There was a ringing in her ears, and then everything seemed to pause. Her brain felt clear, her breathing easier. The words spilling forth from the PA began to make more precise sense to her. Station time, 1,800 hours. Full forecast of news available on the O-ring. Remember to always wash your extremities for health safety. Current station alert is yellow. Next news thing at 1830. I don't know what I wrote there. It's a first draft, people. <laughs> so what do you want for it, Heckleck asked. She could understand him perfectly and there was no accent. You stabbed me, she said. Oh, don't be ridiculous. I injected you with some of my nanites so I could understand you, Heckleck said. I'm glad I did. The non-altered frequency of your voice was just about killing me. I feel strange, Tula said but she could understand the creature in front of her perfectly. The nanites are reproducing. Just calm down. They will adjust to your metabolism, to the atmosphere, and take care to regulate an optimum mix for your species. They will work to translate instantaneously as they learn your language. Relax. Once they reach their maximum, your body will normalize. Right now they're multiplying, and the effects of the poison of my species has in its mouth will have worn off by then. Sorry about that. It's unavoidable with the stabbing. Now what do you want for this plant? I want to pass out of here, Tula said. Heckleck laughed, or at least he made a noise that Tula thought could possibly be a laugh. <laughs> the plant is not worth an exit, Visa Heckleck said. Besides, it's not like the old days anymore. Things are impossible now that the Imperium has taken over the Core. What's the Imperium? Don't you pay attention? There's been a coup. The Galactic Association has been dismantled, and now the Core is under the jurisdiction of the Grand Imperium. It must have been a trick of the light, because Tula could have sworn that this alien insect creature looked wistful for a moment. She saw it as an opening. Buy the plant, then. It's worth something. Well, yes, he said. To me, it is. If I return it to the constable, then he'll owe me a favor. I want to get off the station, Twilla said. I know about you, Heckleck said. Everyone does, and you will never get off the station. Even if you did get a pass, it would be worthless to you. A pass is not good without an allegiance, and no one will ally with you. You're nobody, and worse, you're human. "'I'll petition,' she said. "'I'll petition for citizenship somewhere. "'I'll be claimed by a colony. "'I'm as good as allied already.' "'She knew she was lying to herself and to him "'and no one would ever claim her, "'and the planet in front of her had rotated "'and she could see a mountain range. "'She leaned toward it as though she were a part "'of the mountain range, and as she did, "'the plant fell to its side and some of the soil "'spilled on the floor, and she began to scoop "'what she could and put it back in the pot. "'Do you know how many people survive "'in your situation on this station?' he said. "'Almost none.' No allegiance, no credits, no allies, no friends, no help, nothing. Do you know how many aliens like you I have watched die? Scores. I could sit here over you and watch you die and then take the plant. Tula knew that what he was saying was true, and she wanted to cry, but instead she hardened herself. Then why don't you do that? Why don't you just sit there and watch me die? He looked as though he were going to move across the cargo bay and do just that. Instead, he settled his body down on the floor next to her. I'm feeling generous today. Give me the plant and I will owe you a favor. Favors are useless if I'm dead, she said. Besides, how can I trust you? You can't, Heklek said. I'm a hort. Tula laughed. It was not funny, but somehow having a conversation with someone felt normal after weeks of chaos. Are you strong enough to run an errand for me, Heckleck asked. If you are, then I will pay you in credits. I cannot go to the social level. The noise is too much for me. But I have to deliver something to a ship captain who likes to get drunk when he's in port. Deliver it and bring back the item he gives you and I'll pay you then. Pay me first, Tula said. This is why the universe is at such odds with itself. No one trusts anyone, Heckleck said. Fine, here's payment. If you run off with it, so be it. I'll find your dead body eventually and retrieve the item and the money and the plant. (laughs) Heckleck pressed a bloody wrapped up alien wrapped up linen and a credit chit into her hand. What is this, she said. It is a digit from one of his crew members. Tell him to give you the item or I'll send the rest of the crew member to him in pieces. Tula looked over Heckleck's shoulder and out the window at the planet and at the stars. She stood up. If she was going to survive and get off the station, she would have to trust him. She felt dizzy, and her stomach grumbled. She had to eat. It had been a while. She was afraid that if she took the plant with her, she would lose it. He was safer here. She placed the plant in front of Heckleck. If I find that you've betrayed me in any way, she said, I will summon up all of my strength and use it to kill you. Then we have an agreement, Heckleck said. Tula nodded and stumbled away. That's it. it's really rough but uh, yeah so that's going to be my new book you have been listening to the Skylight Books author reading series don't forget that you can check out this and all of our other great podcasts at www.skylightbooks.com today's music was provided by Fragile Gang you can check them out at MySpace Facebook and the iTunes music store Thanks for stopping by, and we hope to see you soon.